Welcome to Season 1, Episode 4 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. I'm your host, Wilton Jackson. Today we have another great episode for you. I sat down with Kendall Lumpkins, a safety advisor for the Shell Oil Company, a highly sought-after motivational speaker, and mentor to many in Mississippi and beyond. While most might think Kendall has the perfect life, he's the first one to tell you that he has made a lot of mistakes along his journey. But through his experiences, he encourages himself and others to find their purpose. And through purpose, according to Kendall, provides the motivation and drive to live a fulfilling life. Sit back and get ready to listen as he discusses embracing change in tough situations, overcoming mistakes, changing the narrative of a black man, life lessons from basketball, and more. This is Season 1, Episode 4 of the Red Diamond Report Podcast. Don't quit on your purpose. Let's get it. Eastern Conference Finals will be Boston and Miami. Yes, what sir. Do you have and why? Um, I like Boston. And the reason why I like Boston is because they have more players that can get their own shot off. They have more players that can create for themselves. And man, they play some defense. Man, I'm talking about, and I'm not taking nothing away from Miami. I'm not taking nothing away from them because those guys get after it too. But I just like Tatum. I just like, I like Jalen Brown. I like Kimber Walker. Like, I like that Marcus Smart is a dog and he's gritty. And then don't mix around and, and let Jordan Haywood come back and be able to play too because they talked about his ankle last night. So he may be in the mix getting ready to come back on Tuesday. So I just, I just like the Celtic style of play. Welcome to the Red Diamond Report podcast with your host, Wilton Jackson. And today we have another great episode for you. We have Mr. Kendall Lumpkins. Um, Kendall, it's good to have you on today. Man, I'm glad to be here, man. I appreciate the opportunity, man. I'm honored to uh, join you on your show, man. So, Kendall, tell us a little bit about yourself and, you know, some of the things that you do. Yeah, so uh, I live in Sumrall, Mississippi right now. I'm originally from Marrero, Louisiana, but my family moved to uh, Mississippi, Columbia, whenever I was six years old. So I've uh, been staying there, man, all, all my life. So the majority of my life. So I'm a Columbia guy. I'm a Mississippi native. So uh, I love it. I love Mississippi, love where I, love where I am right now. So I uh, also married my wife, Kim, and I got three kids, uh, Alana, she's 11. Makai, he's six, and uh, Kimberly, she's uh, she's two, man. So in your spare time, just pray for me. In your spare <laughs> time, just pray for me, man. So pretty busy at the house, man. But my family means everything to me. Like, like, and I say that, and I mean that. Everything that I do, everything that I am, revolves around them. The sacrifices that I gotta make to make sure that they're they're good, right? So I also work offshore with uh, Share Oil Company. I'm a safety lead out there. And then on my time off, man, whenever I'm home, man, I get a chance to travel and speak and uh, inspire other people. I also work uh, on a part-time basis at Pearl River Community College with their marketing department and uh, shooting, a, shooting a video, shooting Wildcat, the Wildcat Way Show, which is a new podcast we just launched, doing some mentoring and a special project for the president there. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going pretty good, man. That's, that's just a little bit about me. When do you ever have free time is the question. <laughs> So, so with, I don't know, I don't know what free time is, right. um, but I can say that I'm able to enjoy my time, you know, with what I do. Right. right. So when there's a football game, there's a basketball game, I do have downtime with that. Uh, 
after I put my son to bed um, at night and do different things. So, yeah, so I get a chance to mingle or, or, or go out and watch a game or watch it on TV every now and then, but it ain't too much free time. I don't, I don't know what that is, man, right, right. <laughs> unless Absolutely. I take a vacation or something. Exactly. You said you spend a lot of time um, once you're home from offshores with your kids and your family, kids, wife means everything to you. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I'm already gone, so I'm not sure if many people know what the offshore environment looks like. So that's a, a 14 and 14 or 21 and 21 rotation means that I'm gone half the time. So whenever I'm home, my time is – I schedule everything I do around making sure I can take my son to school, pick him up from school, uh, spending time with my wife because they need me more than anything else, right? And I really, really value – so I have to make sure that my schedule fits them so that I could be able to do what I need to do. Now, it don't always work like that because my wife, she, she takes care of a lot of stuff at the house. And that's why I'm so, so grateful that I married this girl because she's really, really, she really holds it down, right? And she affords me the opportunity to do the things that God has called me to do. Um, but I never want to lose sight of them being the first ministry, the first important thing that I have going on in my life because what they think about me matters more than what anybody else thinks about me. Absolutely. It's, it's interesting you say that because my, my dad was in the military and, you know, he would always say, you'll remember the time I spent with you versus the things I bought for you. That's it. That's it. And, and, and so, man, I, I actually enjoy that. Like I enjoy, like whenever I'm at the house, man, just chilling with my wife and chilling with my kids, my son, he want to play basketball all the time. And even when I'm tired, it's like, man, I don't got to do this. I get to do this. Right. right. And that's the mentality that I've adopted and I've taken to, you know, it's because I'm grateful to have a family. I'm grateful to have the people that need me, depend on me. And I personally believe that my life is what it is because of them. So I wouldn't have or be able to do what I do if I didn't have them to take care of. Exactly. So, so it really, really uh, means a lot to me to be devoted, you know, a devoted husband, a devoted father. And I don't always get it right, man, but I'm just striving to, striving to get better every day. Absolutely. <clears throat> I mean, as humans, we're, we're not perfect and we're always, you know, trying to, you know, fix the next thing. So that's a, that's a perfect segue to go into something else. I know with you, you know, going from Kendall by himself to Kendall as the family man, obviously I'm yeah. sure throughout that time span, you had to go through some hardships and some obstacles along the way. What's some of the things that have, you know, helped you transform into the man that you are today? Um, if I could be honest, it's a lot of consequences, <laughs> a lot of consequences to some bad decisions that I made. And, and I think too, um, when you think about the consequences, I believe they were a blessing. And I say a blessing because they led me to a place where it had had me to depend on God more than I thought I needed it. Right. And, and I always advocate for that. Right. So I'm not, I'm not here to try to preach to anybody. I'm just saying that there has to be something that holds you accountable other than yourself. Because Absolutely. I did the streets, I did the party, and I did the clubbing, and I did all of those things, but those things actually take away from the responsibility that you have when it comes to taking care of wife, taking care of kids. So you have to weigh your options. And when I talk about purpose, purpose drove me to this. And many people are always challenging to think about what is it that you're good at? What are you passionate about? Because that's going to direct you to why you're here or why you're supposed to be here on this earth. And we get caught up in all this other stuff that we do and we do it because we like it, but it's not fulfilling. 
and I got tired of chasing the feeling. I got tired of chasing just what felt good, just on a whim. Okay, well, I'm going to do this tonight. I'm going to go club party. I'm going to do this on a Friday. I'm like, well, what is this meaning? Where is this taking me? Mm-hmm. How am I, How is this going to help me later in life? And so when you figure out your purpose, I believe it answers a lot of questions for you or it makes a lot of decisions for you. If this don't fit with family, faith, finances, it ain't something that I do because my purpose has answered a lot of questions. So that's what helped me to transform into who I am today. I always say first is God, then me to figuring out, Kendall, what are you here for? I read this book by uh, Rick Warren called What on Earth Am I Here For? Mm-hmm. And it was a it was an eye-opening experience. I've actually read this book several times, right? And that helped me to get better, helped me to understand why I'm here and that my life matters regardless of the mistakes I made, regardless of the bad things that I've done. God still has a purpose for me. And then I also credit it to mentors, to people that uh, can hold me accountable, to people that could see what I can't see, hold me and see the blind spots in my life. Like, hey, man, I've been there before. Let me help you with this. Let me help you get where you're supposed to be or guide you in that way. So I have a lot of male people in my life, a lot of females that I could call on, talk to from a big brother, big sister perspective that could give me guidance that helps transform my life daily. What would you say at this point in your life is your purpose? So my purpose is to know God and to make God known. Now that that's kind of a broad statement, but I'm an encourager at heart. So my, my purpose fits into the category of helping other people be the best version of themselves, like figuring out what it is that ticks, makes them tick. And that's what I get a joy out. That's what I get a kick out, like inspiring other people, helping other people be better. That's what I feel like I'm called to do. That's what I feel like my purpose in life is. So you mentioned, you know, you mentioned your purpose and you mentioned the idea of purpose drives you on for the reason as to like why you're supposed to be on this earth. So considering that, how does, you know, when you're not going, when you're not aligned with your purpose initially, how difficult is that change process? So it's hard because, and, and I would say extremely difficult. And the reason why I say that is because you're going from what's familiar to what's not, right? And we're, we're creatures of comfort. Like we like to be comfortable. We, like, we don't like uh, anything that's going to push us or challenge us to be and do better. We, we would rather stay comfortable doing nothing than to go be challenged, be uncomfortable doing other stuff. So the challenge and the transition may sound easy, but man, it's a lot of work that you have to do on the inside internally that helps you be that way. And I first think it starts with your character, right? Who you are when nobody's watching. Who's that guy? Who's that woman that when nobody's watching you, what is that? What what do you do whenever nobody's around? And I think that's a lot of soul searching that people have to do. That's a lot of soul searching that I had to do. And this stuff is not easy because it's not something tangible that I could go touch and fix right away. Right. right? It's something that you have an internal battle with yourself every day, getting rid of the old developing new habits, unlearning some damaging behaviors and, and things that take you nowhere. So that's a hard process. So to that person who has a dream or goal or aspiration or trying to follow their purpose, but they're not seeing that their purpose is going exactly how they want it to go. Um, let's say they have a goal, they have a dream and to get to the reality of where they want to be, it's a lot of things that sit in the way per se. 
as opposed to maybe somebody else's somebody else's purpose is just kind of like you know a straight shot no zigs and zags what would you yeah. tell to that person who has the zigs and zags uh be patient that's a part of the process don't compare your life to everybody else's life one of my favorite rappers is j cole and he's he has a song called love yours and he explains exactly what we should be doing, like focusing in on our life, because the hurdles that I have to jump may not be the hurdles that you have to jump, but it all takes us to an end. It all takes us to where we're supposed to be eventually. And that's one thing that's also challenging because you see social media, social media shows you this and it shows people doing this and it shows people doing that. And I'm like, man, I'm always conscious of, I don't know all that went into that. So I'd rather just love my own life. I'd rather just trust my own journey and trust God's plan for my life. So if it's zigs and it's zags, you just keep going. Because all of those things are not just for, they're not happenstance. They're going to mean something one day. They're right. teaching you a valuable lesson as you go along the way. But it's if you stop because it don't go a straight line. And many people have this idea in their heads like, oh, well, I said I wanted to do this and it's automatically going to happen. And I'd be wondering, like, where you get that from? <laughs> like, like, who told you exactly. that that's how that's supposed to work? Nobody wrote that down. Nobody said that. But it's in our minds, like, man, I, it, it has to go this way. And that's not real. You're going to have to jump over some stuff. You may have to fight some battles more than once in order to win. Right. In order to get to the next level. And I just finished my college degree. Right. So I just finished my bachelor's degree and I'm getting ready to pursue my master's. And the crazy thing about it, I failed a class hmm. during my bachelor's process. I failed a course as this guy. I didn't waddle in it. I didn't complain about it. Can there, what can you do better? What can you learn from this experience? Because the goal is still waiting on you. Right. It never moves. You have to keep going. And so for the person that has the zigs and zags, if you really want it, you push yourself till you get it. Part of also, you know, transitioning into following your purpose and, and overcoming those obstacles, part of that also deals with, you know, overcoming your past and putting your past behind you. Yes, sir. What was that process like for you? So I think that was another gut-wrenching process for me um, because, you know, I wrote this book called Wreck But Not Total. And this is real, real personal to me because I thought that the mistakes that I had made had messed up my future. Mm -hmm. And many people have this idea, and I believe, I personally believe it's because of how people write us off mm -hmm. that we think God has written us off. And this is why I always go back to my relationship with God because he's the only one that could help me overcome how I feel about myself with how he loves me. And so it's, it was, it was tough because when you don't see any value in yourself because of the mistakes you made in your past, you have no reason to change. You see no desire. You see no reason to get better. So you just keep doing the same old stuff that got you to where you are because you don't think a better future exists for you. So whenever I had to overcome my past, I started to realize I'm not my mistakes. I made a mistake with the limited information that I had. And I'm, re I'm reading this book called Choice Theory, and this guy makes a great point. He says that people make decisions based on the information that they have at the time, right? 
which right. means that I did what I did in my 20s because I didn't know what I know now. So my future is still spotless. Those are just learning experiences. That does not define me, even the stuff that I'm ashamed of, even the things that may break my heart that I think about, wow, I can't believe I did that. That's not who I am. That was a mistake on the journey. Everybody has them. Right. Nobody gets out of here spotless and perfect. And the people that act like they're perfect, those people I can't connect with, those people that don't help me, I don't think you help anybody pretending to be something that you're not. Absolutely. So for me, overcoming my past was challenging because I had to get out of this mindset that, man, you got a daughter before you got married. Nobody's going to want to marry you. You made that mistake. Nobody's going to ever want to see you as the man that you could potentially be. But I had to see it for myself first. I had to dig within myself and say, Kendall, there has to be more for your life than what you went through. And it made me get up. So even when I fall today, I just get back up. I just keep moving forward because I'm going to make mistakes until the rest of my, until I die. But that does not define who I am. And I think people associate their mistakes with them. Just like whenever you're in, in school, that failed class was not me. That bad grade was not Kendall. It was just a bad grade. But when you tie it to my personality, when you tie it to me, oh, it makes it so devastating. It makes it like the world is coming to an end. And that's not real. So this is all a mindset shift. When you're overcoming those obstacles and, you know, and dealing with your past, what, what keeps you grounded to, like, to stay on it? Because I know it's, and I'm going to just speak a little bit from my own experience. I've had some moments within the last four years that really I thought was just going to break me down totally. Like, Moments yeah. where I thought to myself, there's no way I can come back from some of the things that have happened. And it's just like, but you have to find that inner motivation to really keep pushing, like, yeah. as hard as you can. What was that deep inner motivation for you? So it became, every day it became my, my family. My wife, my kids, and not only them. It's the people that look like me, that think like me, that have, may have went through what I went through, that need to see somebody else make it. So whenever you're not longer, you're no longer internalizing this stuff and making it about you, there's a drive, there's a pull that comes from other places like, Kendall, you can't quit because somebody else needs you to win. And I think so often we only think about ourselves, how this makes me feel, how I'm feeling right now. And I think that's where you, when you think about only you, it's easy to quit. It's easy to give up whenever all you doing this podcast for is you. But if you're doing this podcast because somebody else's life is dependent on it, it'll change your perspective. It'll make you say, you know what? Even when it's hard, I'm going to do this. Even when it don't look like it's going to work, I'm going to do this. Mm. So I have a six-year-old son that's dependent on me. And he needs to see his daddy be somebody that stands up and be a leader, stands up and be successful, stands up and be somebody that's great in this life. Not great according to the world standards. Not a millionaire, not millions of followers. That's not greatness to me. That's the success is subjective. 
What I'm saying is he need to see a man lead his family, regardless of what I've gone through, regardless of what I'm going through. And so every time I get a chance to think about something other than myself, it picks me up. And that's how you do the soul searching, because you start to realize your life is more valuable to others than you think. And I always go back to this when it comes to my relationship with God, because God is not selfish. He's not looking for selfish people. So that means that if you're doing something for him, you have to consider how it affects other people, Absolutely. even your quitting. So the degree, whenever I went back to finish my degree, it wasn't necessarily for me. I did it, yeah, because I wanted to prove that I could finish what I started. But then I thought about, man, can there, how can this impact other people? Not from a validation perspective, but purpose. Somebody may look at it and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to keep going because he didn't quit. I'm going to keep fighting because he proved to me that it could happen. And that's what purpose is. It goes back to that question. That's what purpose looks like for me. Everything that I do has to fit into that. That's what I do that for. Absolutely. And that's how I keep going. Purpose. You mentioned just a few seconds ago, you, want, you do the things you do for family, specifically you use as an example, your son. You're an African-American male in society. He's a young, a young man who will eventually become a, a citizen in this world too. Yeah. With everything going on with, you know, senseless killings of African-Americans in society due to police brutality, how do we change the narrative? So I think we change the narrative at home first. Um, me pouring into my son, letting him know how valuable he is. Every time, we, every time I take him to work, I mean, to school in the morning, I talk to him about how special he is. I talk to him about how valuable he is. So I think when you tell your kids that at home, they don't look for the world to validate them. They don't look for the world to think that they matter. See, my son matters to me. My life matters to me. So I'm not looking for somebody else to tell me that it matters. So you change the narrative at home because the reality is we're not going to change everybody. Right. Some people are going to be the way that they are for the rest of their life. Martin Luther King got killed. Nobody changed. You had a few people that, oh, yeah, something needs to happen. People need to change. But for the majority, look at all the people that are still doing the same stuff that they're doing now. So I have a responsibility at home to teach them how to be respectful, teach them how to be nice. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. You know, I, I, have, I have a responsibility to do that in my own house. So I'm not looking for the world to change a narrative, I'm looking for him to say, in the face of this opposition, you can still win. And that's what he gets at home. So he comes home sometimes, he said, daddy, such and such wouldn't play with me. And I sit him down. Hey, you don't really need anybody else to make you feel better about yourself. If they don't want to play with you, that's on them. But you focus on you. You focus on what you could bring to the table. And yeah, it gets hard. It gets emotional because I'm a man and I hate the days that I, I, I dread the days that I got to look forward to to talk to my son about being po pulled over because you're a black man and somebody may see you and think that that's something that's that your, your, your black, your blackness is a crime. I got to talk to him one day, but whenever I get pulled over, you know, prayerfully, it never happens, but it's, I'm respectful because my number one goal is to get home. I'm not going to fight it on the streets. I'm going to fight it in court, fight it the legal way and do things that way. So my son has to know this leaving my house. That's how the narrative is shift or change in my house. And I believe if everybody took that approach to say, hey, look, they're going to do what they're going to do. They're going to be them. 
regardless. There's nothing you can do about them. Fix you. Change you. And let us, when we start changing us, I believe the world around us starts to change. What's the one thing that, that you share with your son? Or, for example, what's the one thing that he looks forward to every time he talks with you or spends time with you? So my son is a basketball fanatic. And all he ever wants to do, and let's go in the room and play basketball. He got this goal on the back of his, his closet door. Mm-hmm. And, Daddy, let's play basketball. And, man, when I tell you that, that means so much to me. Like so much to me that I get a chance to every day go in there and play basketball with him, you know, and 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 that that brings me great joy because I know he's he's appreciative of it, right? right. It don't matter what's going on, he he loves his dad and he wants to play basketball, and that's what I do, man. So I'm his biggest fan. He's he's my biggest fan, and 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 that's what I look forward to because those times in those moments is not just us shooting basketball. There's some life lessons that's happening, right? When you fall down, get back up. When you lose, don't take it to heart. You're not a loser, but try again, right? So these are the things that I'm able to teach him through a game that we both love. So, yeah, that's that's one thing that I know we're going to do every day when I'm home. So I did a little research, and I know that <clears throat> you was a pretty good basketball player yourself back then. <laughs> you probably still are now. So what, what life lessons did you learn um, through the game of basketball? So, man, man, basketball is still something that I hold dear, like real, real dear to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, basketball taught me how to compete. Basketball taught me how to be a teammate. Basketball taught me that I didn't have to be the main guy in order to win in life. You need other people to help you get where you're trying to be. There are other people that could do what you can't do. So assist them in them doing it and help them get where they want to be and you eventually get where you want to be. Uh, basketball taught me never to quit, never give up, keep fighting. I can remember two weeks before my senior year, uh, I did a crossover in the gym in practice, and a guy kicked his foot out and just trying to stop the ball, but he kicked my finger, and I dislocated my finger. And I'm talking about this two weeks before the first game, and my high school coach said, Lump, you're going to be out for a while. I went to the doctor. They said, yeah, you need to sit down and let it heal for at least four weeks. Next day, I was back in practice. Next day, I said, Coach, like, nah, man, you can't. I said, Coach, I'm, I'm playing my senior year. I'm not missing a game. Right. I put a splint on it, and I wrapped it up. So I draw from that same stuff whenever I go through life now, and I look back over the stuff that I had to overcome as a child. That type of stuff still inspires me. That type of stuff still says, Kendall, there's no quitting you. Life is hard. You're getting punched right now, but you know how to fight. It taught me endurance because we had to run. We had to jump. We, we was a small team, but we had to run. We had to outrun everybody. And then another thing it taught me is even if the scoreboard don't show it, don't necessarily mean you're losing. We would be getting beat in the first half by teams. And my high school coach would never come out of the trap. He would say, Kendall, just keep trapping, keep running, keep jumping, keep trapping, keep running. And we didn't understand it because we like, coach, they're getting easy layups. Exactly. And he said, Lump, fourth quarter, they got their hands on their knees. They tired. It's your time now. And then the fourth quarter was my time. And the fourth quarter was our time to even the score. And we would win a lot of games, not because we were more athletic, 
not because we were more talented, not because we had the best players in the South. We would win the most games because we had the most endurance, because we didn't never quit. We fall, we get, we get hit. And my daddy would tell me, man, you're a small piece of leather, but you're well put together. And I tell, <laughs> and I tell my son that now because he's a small kid. Yeah. And he always talk about his size. And I tell him the same thing, man, you're a small piece of leather, mm-hmm. but you're well put together. Just keep fighting. Because, see, you can't – there's no measurement. There's no ruler to measure the heart. Right. And that's what that gave me, toughness. It seems as if your coach, not only did he teach you how to become a better player on the court, but he was also somewhat of a mentor to you off the court and in, in, in guiding you through some of these life lessons. Yes, sir. What has been the power of like some of the mentorships that you've had, you know, going from a young kid to, you know, the professional man that you are today? Yeah, so I would I would say uh, those people. I believe God brought those people into my life to help me mature much faster than I would have if I would have been on my own. And it, and it goes both ways. And the reason why I say it goes both ways is because the mentee has to be receptive. Right. And the mentor has to be willing. So I've had to hear some brutal stuff from these guys, like stuff that I didn't want to hear. Stuff that made me say, man, I don't want to talk to him no more. But he was only telling me, right. One of my mentors is probably 70, 72, 73 years old. He gave me a book one time, and it was The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. He said, look, I need you to read this book. That's a really and good so, book, too. Oh, yeah. So I, was, <laughs> I read the book, and I fell in love with the book. And I was 23 at the time. So that helped to shape my journey. So these people put stuff in front of you that they know going to help grow you. So when it comes to these guys that I have in my life that help mentor me, I would call this guy. He would know about a situation that I'm going through at work because he was one of the leaders at the, at the, at the, at the organization and he wouldn't answer the phone. And I would be like, man, a month later, he called me, Hey man, what's going on? I see you call. I'm like, man, I done called you eight times. You didn't answer. He said, I wanted you to figure it out. Mm. He said, because you've been calling me every time you get in trouble. So a mentor, yeah, they're going to be there. They're going to be there to help guide you. But he taught me that, hey, man, some of this stuff you're going to have to do on your own. Now, I'm going to be like that buffer. I'm going to help you like you go bowling, you put the rails up. For the kids that can't keep it in between the ditches, in between the lane, that's what my mentors have been to me. But they didn't hold my hand and do it for me. They said, Kendall, look, let me introduce you to this. Let me introduce you to that. Let me show you how you could be. Let me show you how you, and he also taught me humility. Helped me to see how humble it was to be a leader, how, how, how humility is the best posture for a leader to be in. So he told me this story. He was, he was the speaker one day and he's high up in the company and this guy sits at the table and he says, hey man, the bathrooms at this hotel are dirty. Can you go clean them or get somebody to clean them? So he don't know this guy from Adam. He don't know who this guy is that he just asked to clean the bathroom. So my mentor gets up and he goes, yeah, man, I went and picked up a few pieces of paper in there and took, them, took care of them. So they, well, our keynote speaker for today is John Connolly. So the guy just asked his boss to go clean the restrooms. 
He had never met his boss. He just knew his boss name was John Connolly. Mm-hmm. So the humility part of it, see, pride wants to rise up and say, man, you know who you're talking to? Mm-hmm. But the humble side was, I don't need to prove nothing to you. You're going to see eventually who I am. So when he told me that story, it stuck with me. So now whenever I go places, I don't need to announce who I am. Let that speak for myself. And so there's so many other lessons, man, that, that the mentors have taught me, have given me. And I encourage anybody, man, like listen when they're talking because they know more than you forgot. I mean, they know they don't forgot more than, you know, and my high school coach still to this day, if I need him, I pick up that phone. He'll be there. My high school coach used to buy out basketball clothes and basketball shoes because my mom and dad couldn't afford it. So I'm forever connected to him. And all he ever wanted was the best for me. And he was hard now. He was tough because the mentors that I have now, they still challenging. They still going to push me, but I know they want what's best for me. And in terms of, you know, looking at something that, that's really important right now, a part of following your purpose, building good mentorships, it sometimes can be a little, sometimes it can be a little discouraging when you're on social media. And we kind of hinted on this a little bit earlier um, in the podcast. Social media can, can drain you. Yeah. And so it's, it's, it's almost kind of that, 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 that thing of social media versus real world. Yeah. How do you manage that? So I manage that because I know for one, I'm human just like anybody else. And people only show you the highlights. People only show on social media what they want you to show. They don't talk about the problem that you have in your marriage. They don't talk about the problems in parenting. They just talk about the money. They talk about the stuff. So I'm more transparent than most people because I try to give people a glimpse of that. Not that I'm trying to give you all of my life. Not that I'm trying to share everything that's happening in my life because I don't think that social media is a place for everybody to know your business, your personal business. But I do let people know the journey. I do let people know, hey, man, some stuff is going to be hard. Some stuff is going to be challenging. It don't always look like you want it to look. And reality is you're living a real life and so are those people. And it's crazy because we've credited success to money. We think rich people should be telling us how we should live whenever they're miserable too, right? I know a lot of people that have a lot of money that you would never want to be sitting in a room with. Right. Not high character people. So you have to first figure out what it is that you want and why you're on social media. Because it's so easy to get sucked into that because I've suck, been sucked into it too. Because I go speak and I'm wondering like, man, this dude seems like he speaks every day. Like I can't get them kind of gigs. What's, what's happening with, with me? I know I'm genuinely and I care about people. Why do they have more followers than I have? And God always said, Kendall, why are you here? Are you here for the followers? Or are you here to make an impact? So if you impact one person, you did your job. You did what you were supposed to do. Don't get me wrong. We all want to grow our platforms. We all want to help and be uh, great at what we do, right? But you can't compare it to what they're doing because you don't know the story behind it. And the only story you know, front to back, is yours. So focus on your story. Focus on your reality and not think that your life is not good enough just because it doesn't look like their life. They're highlights of their life. You know, you, you're a reporter. You done seen it before. You show highlight reels. Absolutely. 
you ain't never show somebody missed the catch when you're doing whenever they're doing a highlight reel, you send it off to a college. They don't show that. They just show all the big time catches they made. They show the big time shots they made. But I'm looking at the details. In my life, I don't make every shot. Right. In my life, I don't catch every pass. So I had to separate the two. Right? Not that it's something about being phony on social media, but realize that when you're looking at the highlights in somebody's life, they have the same or not, or if not more issues that you have in your own life. So you have to love your own life. You have to trust your own journey and know why you do what you do. Absolutely right. And not expect it to look like theirs either, right? Because comparison, I know it's cliche, we say this, comparison is the thief of joy, mm-hmm. right? But the reality is people got to know that because how can my life be like your life or like somebody else's life whenever I don't have the history, I don't have the same thing that they went through in order to catapult them to where they are. Just like with me, my mistakes, my journey, my ups and my downs help shape me into who I am. And I believe that God has a place. He has a time. He has a season for my life and for what I have to offer to the world. And comparison, not only is a thief of joy, it can make you envious. It can make you jealous. It can make you bitter. And if you don't check that stuff within yourself, you could be hating people you're supposed to be learning from. So, I think that's a lot. I think it's a lot packed into that. But yeah, uh, social media in the real world is a real thing. And we have to stop uh, letting our lives be controlled by social media. Do you think LeBron gets to the finals? And do you think the Lakers win a championship this year? So uh, I'm a Laker guy. Um, and I'm a Lebr- I've grown to love LeBron James, but I'm a Kobe and Michael Jordan that's over my guys. So when Kobe lost his life earlier this year, man, that rocked me. And it's still, some stuff is still hard for me to grab, wrap my mind around that he's not here. Cause I would, I look forward to what he would be talking about right now. Like I grew up and I watched Kobe grow up. So that's why he was a big time, but I'm a Laker guy. So uh, if the Lakers get past the Clippers, they win the championship. In my opinion, the Clippers from the beginning of the playoffs and I got, homeboys that like to talk about you know they talking about Portland they talk about the the Houston Rockets and I said the only team that I feel poses a threat to the Lakers were the Clippers because they had multiple they have multiple guys that they could throw at LeBron and not stop him but slow him down exactly and that was the difference whenever they played the Warriors See, you had Kevin Durant, you had Draymond Green, you had Iguodala, all of those guys like Klay Thompson. They couldn't stop him one-on-one by themselves. But after four series, another man switched. Another series, another man switched. And if you look at the way the Clippers are constructed, they're deep. Yep. They have a lot of scores, too. They got a lot of scores, and they got a lot of people that could go out and say, okay, LeBron, I'm going to let somebody else beat me because you're not getting to the basket. And LeBron James, I believe he's going to get his. I believe he's going to get his 40, 10, and 10. I believe he could do that every night. But it's not just him that's going to win a championship. You're going to have to see can Kuzma hit some shots. Where's Danny Green going to be? Can Rondo step up and play big? So is AD going to be the superstar that we know he could be? Absolutely. Right? So those factors factor in. And I I hate to say this because I'm I'm just a realist. I I love – and many people, if they listening to this, they're going to kill me for saying this because I'm a Laker guy. Mm-hmm. I'm just a realist. 
I don't see how the Lakers get past the Clippers. I don't mm-hmm. see how the Lakers get past the Clippers unless LeBron averaging 50 points a game and these guys are just knocking down shots. I, I don't see it. I, I don't see it. But it's going to be interesting. It's going to oh, be absolutely. interesting to see. I told one of my homeboys, I said, LeBron is easily going to have to have 35 or more every single game. Ain't no question. For them to, for this, for, for this series to at least go six, probably seven games for sure. And check this out. Check this out. This is what, this is another thing. He can't have them 35 and shy away in the fourth. Exactly. Like, because these games are not going to be blowouts. No. So, and, and so this is, this is why stats could be kind of misleading. Exactly. Because you could get 40 between the first 42 minutes of the game, but the last six is when it counts the most. So you can have a triple-double with 45 minutes in the game, but the last three minutes you need to be big time. Mm -hmm. You need to be somebody that's still with your foot on the pedal. And uh, I think the Lakers have a chance because – and the reason why I think they have a chance, LeBron James is on their team. And the Clippers don't play consistent all the time. Like last night, if you watched them play, they were up 16. That game should have been over. But they let Denver come back and steal that game from them, right? And that can't – you're not going to win a championship like that. You got to be all in every night if you're going to be saying you want to be the champ. So I think it's going to be – man, I'm just so glad that basketball is back. I'm so glad that these guys got Black Lives Matter on their shirts. I'm so glad that they're using that platform to – you know, just to make a difference, man. So uh, that's that's exciting, exciting times for us right now. So, Kendall, if, you know, people want to follow you and find out more information about what you do, um, you know, your speaking engagements, and just a little bit about, you know, helping people to fulfill their purpose, how can they do that? Yeah, so I'm, I'm a big social media guy. So I'm on social media. It's at Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-E, Lumpkins, L-U-M-P-K-I-N-S. One word, that's the same thing on Instagram and Twitter. If you shoot me a message, you hit me up. I always respond, right? So I'm not this Hollywood guy or trying to be popular. I like to talk to people. I like to deal with people uh, personally, right? So, uh, and then speaking engagement, that just varies. I, I don't necessarily think that they'll be uh, recorded up front where they'll be live, but I always have little snippets that I have somebody to take a few shots of. So whenever I go speak somewhere, uh, I always post those things if I feel like it's going to help somebody else. Stay tuned for episode five of the Red Diamond Report podcast next week. Until then, make sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at the RDR Report and follow me on Twitter at Wilson Reports and on Instagram at Wilson Reports underscore.